tonight. Turn to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter number 14. And if you're able to tonight, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. And uh, let's, uh, we've done this in the past. Let's read uh, this passage tonight. We'll read it responsibly. And what that means is I'll read a verse, and then you read a verse t- together, and then I'll read another verse, and so on. We're going to begin reading in verse number 20, uh, 26, and uh, we'll read down to verse 33. So I'll read verse 26, you read verse 27, until we get to the end of our passage. Now, as we get ready to read, notice that one of the verses, and really the, the verse that starts this passage of Scripture is not one that I've included, and so I want you to look at that. The Bible says in verse 25, to give you a little context here, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned, and this is what he said to them. All right, so this is the Lord Jesus speaking to this multitude as they followed him. And I want you to think about these words. Now listen, there's a lot of messages. I've enjoyed this series. I hope you have too on the church, being a genuine, real church. There's a lot of churches that have the name church on their building or on a sign, but they're really not a true church. And the reason I say that is because they are not following the pattern that God has given in his word. See, that's, that's where they deviate. We want to make sure that we're staying true to what God has intended for the church, all right? So let's listen to the words of our Lord and Savior as he's instructing us in this passage, just as he was his disciples. So I'll read verse 26, and you pick it up in verse 27. The Bible says, If any man come unto me, come to me, and hate not his father and his and mother, and wife and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. And the key verse to our message tonight is verse 33, the verse you just read. Let's read it together one more time. So likewise, whosoever view that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You know, I always think it's, it is a, a special thing. So many times this has happened where God gives me direction for messages and, and, and really uh, at different times, different series, different messages, and how when the, the time comes for those messages, morning and evening, how they just fit like hand in glove. This message really ties right into uh, what I preached on this morning, this matter of of surrendering uh, our time, surrendering our lives uh, to the Lord. And, you know, listen, it's one thing to say that you love the Lord. It's another thing to follow the Lord. And so let's have a word of prayer, and I'll let you be seated. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the precious Word of God. Pray that you bless our time together tonight. Lord, may you be pleased. Lord, may we all be enriched. And uh, Lord, help us to understand what you were saying to your disciples, those that were following you while you were on this earth. And Lord, may we heed these instructions so that we are truly one of your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. So as you're here tonight, I want you to think about this. 
How many of you, when you were younger, when maybe very young as a child, remember playing the game Follow the Leader? Anybody remember that? Uh, how many of you struggled with that game, Follow the Leader? You know, the, the, the reality is, is that oftentimes we do struggle when it comes to following some directions for our lives, especially men. Men have a hard time following directions, you know. I don't know what it is about the male DNA, but, but many times, and then they came out with GPSs that it's always a woman's voice that's the default on GPS that's always telling you where to go, and, and we struggle with that. But listen, can I tell you that you can never, somebody said a long time ago, you'll never lead unless you first know how to follow. You've got to understand, it, think about this, why do we have games like, and again, I, I don't necessarily, may not be a fan of all these games, but follow the leader, Simon says, uh, there's a lot of games like that that we teach children. What are we trying to instill in children at a very young age? That whatever somebody asks them to do, that's what they need to do. Uh, you know, many times children can learn those things, but as children get older and become adults, they seem to forget the things that they learned when they were very young. Tonight's lesson is really about this matter of not only being a follower of the Lord, but it's being a grounded follower of the Lord, uh, making sure that we have an understanding of what the Lord wants for our lives. And so as we look at this passage tonight, we read just a moment ago that everywhere Jesus went, that the crowds followed him. As a matter of fact, they not only followed him, but they were close to him, they hovered over him. At times, it was probably very intense. We just talked a little bit in our Sunday school uh, lesson this morning about the woman that had the issue of blood. And, and when that woman touched Jesus, even his own disciples said, Lord, I mean, if I put it in my own words, are you serious? There's so many people here. The crowds were thronging him. And yet Jesus sensed that virtue had gone out of him. And everywhere Jesus went, people came and they admired the miracles that he did. They were drawn to what he was all about, the power that he had. Jesus healed those that were sick. You know, there were a lot of doctors in that day, just like there are today. And guess what they did in Jesus' day? Back then, they practiced medicine too. Remember back in the day where they thought that when you had some sort of disease, they would try to bleed it out of you? Anybody remember those days? I hope you don't. That was a long time ago. And, and so seriously, what they would do is they'd end up killing the person because they drained so much blood out of them. And I, you know, honestly, a lot of times today, we see people who claim they have the power to heal, but understand the only person today that really can heal is the Lord Jesus himself. He's the great physician. He has the power to heal. The others that came to see the Lord, they came because they were interested in his teaching. Remember the Bible said early on in his life and ministry, never a man spake like this man. Uh, with what power and authority Jesus, as a 12-year-old, dumbfounded the theologians of the day. I mean, they thought to themselves, where does this man get this understanding, this teaching? But even though they came, and even though they were curious about his healing and some of his teachings, not all of those that came to him in those crowds were disciples. Not all of them were. Some of those people that came, they were curious and listen, sometimes people walk through our church doors because they're curious about what's going on in this church. Can I tell you that's not a bad thing? I'm glad that they had curiosity enough to come in, and when they do come, hopefully they hear the Word of God that will change their lives. But listen, oftentimes we think about this, that the people that come to, came to Jesus, they were curious, but they were not committed. A lot of times they just... They're there. They're happy with just being there. They don't want to get uh, connected to something. They were delighted in him, but they were not devoted to him. And unlike many today, a lot of people think, but it is not true, 
Jesus was not enamored with the crowds. It wasn't all about gathering a crowd. He was glad, glad when they did gather around him, but the whole reason that Jesus was glad that they came to him was so that he could minister to them. Remember the Bible says he came not to be ministered unto, but to, be, but to minister to them. And listen, every time we get together, the Bible says that he's promised that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he will be there with us. And the Lord's here even tonight to minister to us. And listen, as those crowds gathered, Jesus was not interested in being followed out of curiosity. He wanted them to understand fully who he was. He wanted and desired to have real disciples. Those that uh, wanted a real relationship with him that were grounded followers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible teaches us, as you study the life and ministry of the Lord, that there was definitely and still is a difference between a crowd and true followers of Christ. I mean, it, just about anybody can gather a crowd. Uh, you know, you, you think about so many today that have crowds, but are they, are they true disciples of the Lord? See, when you think about being a true disciple, what is it? It's someone that believes what he says. Well, what did he say? He said, I am the Son of God. Jesus was telling everyone that he was God in the flesh. And yet when Jesus said that, listen to the response from the word of God. Look there in your notes in John 6, 66. From that time, when Jesus made that claim that he was God, the Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12. Notice he's talking to his disciples. He says, these people have left me. These people were curious, but they don't want to be committed. And notice he says to his disciples, will ye also go away? There's a cost to this matter of discipleship. And many people, especially Christians, are not willing to pay that cost. I'm not talking about financial, but we'll see tonight what that cost involves. Again, it's, it's, it's easy to draw a crowd, but it's another thing to develop committed followers of the Lord. And that's what I want to be in my life. I don't want to be a part-time Christian, a part-time disciple. I want to follow the Lord in my life. So when you think about the work of the church, one of the core values and work of the church is to be making disciples. That's why we're here, folks, is as Jesus has given this commission to the church, our responsibility is to see people one to Christ. And of course, we can't save them. The Lord does. But once they're saved, to see them follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and then to see them growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Jesus is teaching them uh, teaching them uh, also the things that they had been taught themselves. And that is what we want to do is we want to try to help people to become grounded disciples. And when a person trusts the Lord, listen, when they get saved, it is time for us as a church to teach them, to help them to become committed to the Lord. And as they grow in him, they will understand what discipleship is all about. Now that's what we're talking about here tonight in this passage in Luke 14, is in the text, Jesus gives the requirements for discipleship. And this is something that we need to get a hold of because, uh, again, if we want to be a true disciple of the Lord, what is it that God requires of us, all right? So let's take a look at this because as Jesus gives these requirements, each time he gives a condition. And once he's given that condition, he then said that if a person is unwilling to meet that condition, he says, then you cannot be my disciple. Let me say that again. The Lord gives these conditions, and as he does, he says that if you or I are not willing to meet, now think about it, it's his condition. Who is he? God. If you're not willing to meet that condition, then Jesus said, then you cannot be my disciple. So to me, when I was studying this, I thought to myself, Lord, am I meeting those conditions? 
am I willing to meet those conditions? Because certainly I want to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me tonight? Do you want to know what those three conditions are? Okay, now these aren't something that I drummed up. As a matter of fact, from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to notice the first thing that we see in verse 26 is that we have to have a love for the master. A love for the master. Look at verse 26 again. The Bible says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, do you see the condition? Is anybody else in here tonight like me? Have you ever thought this verse to be odd? I mean, you see this, and part of it is this, that when we look at that verse, what word sticks out to you? Very good. You're very observant. That's the word that I've always looked at, and I thought to myself, why, why would the Lord use that word? And what Jesus is doing here in verse 26 is he is challenging these people, this crowd that has followed him, to examine and to purify their motives. See, that's what we need to have when it comes to the Lord. Because God knows our hearts, we need to make sure that we have pure motives. We're not doing something for the Lord so that we can get something. Even this morning, uh, when I was talking about Jacob and how he gave uh, to the king the gifts worthy of a king, we don't give to get. There's no strings attached, folks. It's a free will offering as we give unto the Lord. So he's, Jesus is challenging them, and he says this, if you're going to follow me, the first thing you have to do is you have to love me. Now, a lot of times we think, well, that's a no-brainer. But it, it's amazing sometimes when people read the Bible, and especially unsaved people, because they act as if, and they even state that they make Jesus sound like he is some sort of taskmaster that was back in Egypt's land, that being a Christian is too hard, that you can't enjoy life if you're a Christian. Anybody ever heard any talk like that? People say things like that all the time. And, and this is what they want to paint is that he's some sort of burden uh, that he places all these things on us. Can I tell you tonight, he is not a taskmaster. He is our savior. He is the one that has saved us from our sins. And hopefully it's your desire, just like mine, is I want to love him. I want to love him because he first loved me. And so when we look at this first thing that Jesus says about you have to have a love for me, Notice as we see this that he uses this word uh, here, hate, because he's using it in comparison. See, the word hate is a word to compare. And the truth is, when you study it out in Jewish understanding, this was an idiom when, the, when Jesus' hearers heard this idiom about hating your father and mother and wife and children, they understood that it meant that our love for Christ would be greater than our love for any other person. Did you get it? Our love for the Lord. In other words, the Lord should be preeminent in our lives. He should be first place. Are you with me? Look, there's no one on this earth that I love more than my wife. Now, did you hear how I put that? And that's a true statement. There's no one on this earth that I love more than my wife. But there's someone that I love far more than my wife, and that is the Lord Jesus. And that's, that's why he uses the word. It, again, it may not be the way we would state it, but he's using it as a comparison. And he's, he's saying, look, uh, you, you need to understand that your love for the Lord has to be greater than any love for any person, and that includes your family, and interesting, notice what he included there, and yourselves. You know, we live in a day where people really love themselves. You know, a couple of guys were talking before the game about uh, some of the NFL games on today. Boy, some of those players, they are way too in love with themselves. And, and that's, that's human nature. Is, and Jesus said, look, you can't even love yourself 
more than you love me. If you're going to be one of my disciples, you have to put me and your love for me ahead of every other person in your life. And I hope that's where you're at tonight. Look at the Bible says in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter, here it is again, more than me is not worthy of me. So when we look at this, do, we, do you and I love Christ in a superior way to every other relationship in your life and mine? Our love for Him, here's what happens. It puts His will and it puts His plans before our desires. In other words, remember Jesus used these words, not my will, but thine be done. I dare say that although Jesus loved everyone that he came into contact with, that Jesus loved the Father and he wanted to do the Father's will, he set aside, listen, remember he, he laid aside uh, you know, his prerogative while he was on this earth to do that which pleased his Father. And it was pleasing that Jesus did that. And Jesus says here in Matthew 10, he that loveth his father or mother more than me. Is there something in your life, someone in your life, that you love more than you love him? He says, if you do, you cannot be my disciple. We must love him. And so love for the Lord is the starting point of discipleship. Isn't it interesting that Jesus has this crowd, and as Jesus says this, then many of them went away. Many of them followed him no more. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and really what he was saying to them is, do you love me more than do you love others? Am I first place in your life? Remember the church in the book of Revelation? Because they had left their what? First love. See, Jesus desires that we love him first and foremost. Jesus said, if you can't do that, you're not my disciples. You cannot be my disciples. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 5. Early in the Bible, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. What is the Lord telling us, even all the way back over in the book of Deuteronomy, is that Jesus is calling us to love him with our all. Every fiber of our being, we are to love him. So he's using this word here in verse 26, he uses it in comparison, but notice also he uses it in comprehension. Because as we begin to think about what Jesus is saying, I want you to think about this. When we comprehend really who Jesus is, and that's the question for the ages, who is Jesus? When we really comprehend and we understand who he is, then it will help us to understand why he is worthy of our utmost love and devotion. Folks, think about it. I mentioned again this morning, Jesus left the splendors of heaven. He came to this sin-cursed world. He suffered at the hands of angry men. He bled and he died for our sins. There was no sin in him, but our sin was placed on him. And Jesus certainly is worthy of our utmost love. He is worthy of every last bit of devotion that we can give to him. There was a, a, an Olympian years ago, his name was Eric Liddell, and he was a Christian Olympian. Later after the Olympics, he became a missionary. And this is what Liddell said. He said, make Jesus an ideal not merely to be admired, but also to be followed. He says, don't just admire him from a distance. Well, how did, listen, how is that possible? Spend time with him. Get to know him. Many of you have been saved for many years, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but do you really know Jesus? The only way you can get to know someone is to spend time with him. Liddell is telling us, he says, look, don't just let him be some idea. When we love Christ supremely, 
And that's what Jesus is asking. Our love for the master. No other person or no other event will keep us from being faithful to the Lord. I hope he doesn't mind me using him as an example tonight. I didn't have this in my notes. But I think all of us that have been around Bible Baptist Church for quite some time all know that Bill Flynn loves the New England Patriots. And guess what? The New England Patriots are playing right now. And where's Bill Flynn? He's in church. You see, when you love God, even things that are dear to you, they just don't matter. Because Jesus deserves our utmost love and devotion. Folks, listen, what I'm talking to you about is not something that you try on and then, and then take it off. You dabble in it. I'm talking about if you want to be a disciple of the Lord, if you want to follow the Lord, it has to begin with the first condition, and that is, are you going to love me? Because if you don't love me enough to love me more than all those other things in your life, all those other people in your life, he says, you cannot be my disciple. But look at the second one tonight. Because in verse 27, the second one he mentions is that we need to have a service for the master. Serve for the master. Verse 27, look at this verse. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There it is again. There's the condition. If you don't bear your cross and come after him, you cannot be my disciple. Now that sounds like a difficult thing to many people. But can I just say tonight that true love labors? When I think about that, I think about a mother. Mothers spend tireless hours, hour after hour, taking care of their children, taking care of meals, taking care of the house, taking care of the husband. There's never any rest for a mother. True love labors. You know, when I got saved, somebody didn't have to tell me, hey, this is what you need to do. I volunteered. I said, Lord, now that I'm saved, now that I realize how much you love me, what can I do for you? My pastor asked me whenever I went to California just to visit. We didn't move there yet. We didn't even know that the Lord was going to lead us there. But he asked me in a meeting, he said, uh, Brother Keeley, you said you've been a pastor, been an assistant pastor, you've been a Christian school administrator. He said, what do you think God wants you to do? And I gave him the answer that I've given over all these years. I looked him in the eye and I said this, the only thing I want to do is serve the Lord. That's all I've ever wanted to do, ever since the Lord saved me. God saved me and my desire is to serve him till my dying day. And this is what we see in this second condition is how oftentimes, listen, we're trying to figure out many times in our lives how to get out of work rather than actually look for opportunities to serve. You know, think about it. There are plenty of opportunities, and yet many people, they're doing everything they can not to get involved, not to be a part of the work of God. I was reminded of this as I was reading the other day about two men. They were walking down the sidewalk, and they were passing stores, and as they passed this one store, there was a sign in the window, and a lot of times you see signs that say, help wanted. Not this sign. This sign actually said, no help wanted. And the one guy looked at it. His name was Bob. Bob looked over at his friend, and he said to him, hey, he says, you should apply. You'd be great at that. There's a lot of people that honestly would be great at a job where there's no help wanted. But can I tell you, the work of God, there's always something to do. There's always a place to serve. What a joy it was. I was standing in the back of the auditorium this morning, and, and there were 17 folks in the choir. I, I, I was like, oh, a couple more people, and we got every chair up there. 
It was a joy. And then I, tonight I walked up and I saw Brother Guslett in the choir. And I said to Brother Kenny, I said, did you get a new choir member? He said he was there this morning. I said, well, he was hiding behind you. I didn't see him. You know, Brother Kenny was standing there, you know, he's flapping his arms and I couldn't see Brother Guslett. But that's a joy to see people uh, step up and want to serve the Lord. Folks, listen, Jesus is saying here, if you're going to be my disciple, he says, serve me. How many Christians just sit on the sidelines? And yet he says, serve me. Look what Paul said, his sentiments were this, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all that they which live. Are you alive today? Are you alive physically? Man, that was pretty poor. Are you alive physically? Okay, I hope you're breathing. We can call the ambulance if you want. Are you alive spiritually? That's what he's saying here. He says, those of you that are now saved, he says, they which live should not henceforth, from the time they trusted Christ, live unto themselves. There you have that selfish attitude, you know, instead of putting Christ first. He says, they which live should not live unto themselves, but they should live unto him, which died for them and rose again. Now think about this. We would be separated from God, would we not, if it were not for the grace of God? I mean, we would still be separated from the Lord. But God has been good to us in His grace, and Paul was one, as he writes many times, he was laboring for Christ. He served, listen, Paul served even when Paul's service was not appreciated. You ever served and people didn't appreciate what you did? That's happened to me many times. You know what's helped me over the years? Is I don't take it personally anymore because you know why? Everything I do, I do for the Lord. If people don't appreciate it, it just reminds me they didn't appreciate the Lord either. Jesus didn't do what he did so that he would receive the praise of men. And every one of us, when we serve, look at the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, Paul records here, I will very gladly spend and be, what? Spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you. Look at these words, the less I be loved. You know, if you, if you study the life of Christ, the longer that he was on this earth and the farther he got into his earthly ministry, by the way, that would be the closer he got to the cross, the more hated he became. But think about this. Every step of his life, he just kept doing more and more for the people that he came into contact with. The more that he helped them, the more that he loved them, the more that he made a difference in their lives, the more they hated him. I think Paul understood what Jesus had gone through in his life. And folks, again, if we're going to take it personal, it, you know, we're never going to serve God. I think about yesterday. Yesterday, we, we tried to entice people with manna. And so we had some round manna with a hole in the middle of it. Uh, yesterday morning, we had some bananas. And uh, we, had, we had some coffee. And Brother Gilbert wouldn't let me touch it. He says, non-coffee drinkers shouldn't make coffee. And so we, we had all these types of things. We were ready for the day. Brother John said, Pastor, he said, uh, would you mind if I pick up some pastelitos? And I said, listen, bring them. You know, we had, we had all kinds of things back there, all sugar-free, you know. And I think about how all day long, every time I walked somewhere on the property, inside or out, there were 24 people that were just doing what they were doing. They were doing it for the Lord, serving God. It's a joy to see people. Listen, a lot of us, we're tired today. But listen, it's a good tired because we did what we did to make the house of God beautiful. So when you think about this service for the master, notice, first of all, 
to serve we must, and this is from verse 27, these are the words of Jesus, to serve him, first of all, you must bear the cross. In the United States of America, and, and boy, we have been so blessed as a people, as a nation, but in America, I think many times we think that the normal discomforts of life are our cross. The AC is not working. That's a cross. This chair's not comfortable. That's a cross. Folks, those are normal discomforts of life. That's not a cross. Understand, when Jesus talked about this matter of the cross, he was referencing the pain and suffering that came into his life. And I understand that pain and suffering is a part of everyone's life. We all deal with those things in our lives. It wasn't just his disciples. And this phrase here, when he says, bear the cross, bearing the cross means to bear the life that comes with following Jesus. You know, there was, and still I think in many degrees today, there has always been a stigmatism when somebody knows that you're a follower of Jesus. The very name Christian was given as a negative connotation, but it just kind of stuck. By the way, I don't mind the word because it begins with Christ. Years ago when I was studying teaching biblical languages, uh, you you remember seeing, I I don't see it too often anymore, but you know, people always talk about how the world's always trying to, to, to do away with Christ, and so at Christmas... They changed it instead of Christmas to Xmas. Remember that? I don't see too much of it anymore. And I used to think, I used to think that's sad that they took the name Christ off of that word so it's no longer Christmas, it's Xmas. Nowadays, they don't even want you to say Merry Christmas. They want you to say Happy Holidays. That the holidays won't be happy without Christ. But you know what thrilled my heart was? I was reading something someday, one day and I, I wasn't looking for it. But I had been well acquainted, because I'd been teaching this for many years, that I knew that Jesus' name in the original Greek language of the New Testament is the word Christos. And the word Christos begins with the letter key. That's a Greek letter. And guess what the letter key looks like? A big X. So when the world thought that they took Christ out of Christmas by making it Xmas, <laughs> they really didn't. Because it still symbolized that it was Christ Christmas. As we see here that he says we've got to understand the pain and the suffering and the connotations about a life that comes with following Jesus. I want you to think about this bearing the cross Because it involves four things. First of all, it involves a denial of self. Paul wrote in the Word of God that the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, if we're going to bear the cross in our lives, we have to deny ourselves. You know what self wants? Self wants to be number one. Self wants to be out in front. But listen... Remember what John the Baptist said? He must increase and I must what? Decrease. Lord, hide me behind the cross. I need to deny myself. Allow the Lord to be the focus of our lives. That's part of bearing the cross. The second part of bearing the cross involves a denial of self-will. Remember again what Jesus said. It's not my will. It's not what I want. Many times, our own desires, what we want, our will, what does the Bible say? That we present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. See, Lord, you know, what I want doesn't matter, Lord. If it, look, if it's what I want, then it's not His will. Because my will and God's will do not match. And there has to be a denial of self, a denial of self-will. Bearing the cross involves a third thing, an expectation of persecution. Remember what Peter wrote? 
all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. Do you ever tell people on your job, people out in the community, hey, I'm a Christian. Boy, sometimes there comes some form of persecution along with that. Sometimes Christians will have their cars graffitied just because people found out in their community, in their neighborhood, that they were a Christian. People will do things to your houses, and, and there, there comes some form of, of persecution. You know what Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand? You might as well expect if you're going to follow me and you're going to bear the cross, there will be some persecution in your life. But notice there's a fourth thing if we're going to bear the cross. It involves an expectation of suffering. An expectation of suffering. The Bible says, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. We're going to have times in our lives when things happen, when, when suffering comes our way. But listen, that verse goes on to say, but rejoice. Count it that, that you're worthy to be counted uh, to suffer for the cause of Christ. Listen to what Martin Luther said, and I love this quote. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. You see, discipleship. Luther understood, he understood that if we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to serve the Master, according to what Jesus said, we've got to bear the cross. But then notice the second condition is, he says, if we're going to serve Him, we must come after Him. Not only take up the cross, not only bear the cross, but we've got to fully follow him. It, you know, I think about a, a man who, who, who finds that special one. I still remember whenever I, my radar honed in on Joy Evans. <whistles> Prettiest girl I ever saw. And I, guess what? I wanted to pursue her. I wanted to know more about her. I wanted, to, I wanted to get to know with her. I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to please her in every way I could. Listen, when a man finds that woman that he, he thinks he loves or he's fallen in love, he wants every opportunity to do what? To express his love for her. And eventually, to express his commitment to her. And this is when we think about this, do you and I pursue after the Lord? See, we're supposed to take up our cross and follow. Who are we following? Jesus. Are you pursuing the Lord? I mean, do you know how to approach the Lord? And that's what Jesus is saying here. How can we do this? How can we pursue the Lord? These are basic things, but let me share them with you. One is we can come to him by studying his word. By studying his word, show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we study the word of God, guess what we discover? We discover his heart. We discover his will, his goodness for our lives. We can pursue him by studying his word. We can come to him, secondly, through daily prayer. The Bible tells us to continue in prayer. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 18, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Look, folks, we can pursue him not only in reading and studying the word of God, but we can pursue him in daily prayer. We also can come to him in local church worship. Here you are tonight. You came tonight. I hope you came to meet with the Lord. I hope you came for God to speak to your hearts. What does the Bible say? It says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so much the more. Boy, if there ever was a time that we need to be in God's house, to be under the word of God, and to meet with the Lord, it's in this day and hour we're living in. You're certainly not going to find anything edifying on the television, especially on the news. So understand, folks, that there are ways that we can approach Him, and we can do it in the setting of a local church worship service. We can also come to Him through obeying His Word. Listen to what James writes in James 1, Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls, but be ye doers of the Word, 
and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Listen, folks, when we come together and we open up God's Word, it's one thing to hear it, but it's another to obey it. God says, don't just be a doer, a hearer of the Word, be a doer of the Word. Uh, Take what God gives you when you meet with God, whether it's in privacy of your home or whether it's here in a service, and obey what God is saying to you. And then there's another way that we can actually approach Him and we can pursue Him, and that is we can also come to Him bringing new believers. This goes right along with our friend day and other days that we have, honestly, every Sunday. There's not a Sunday, folks, where you couldn't bring someone with you. It thrills my heart sometimes when I see our church members walk in and say to me, Pastor, this is my coworker. Pastor, this is my neighbor. Pastor, this is someone that, that I've known for years and I invited them to church and they came to, to be in our services today. Hey, listen, you know what that means when someone from our church actually brings somebody to church? That means that they love their church. That means that they love the Lord. And by the way, that means that they love that person because they love them enough to bring them to the house of God. You see, the Bible tells us in Matthew 4, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of what? Men. You remember what Andrew did before this passage? Andrew actually went and got his brother, Simon, who is Simon Peter, and brought him to Jesus. I personally think that every true disciple should be regularly seeking to bring others to Jesus. We went to make a hospital visit, and I was with Brother Richie, and I'm walking through, and you know, there's people behind us, people in front of us, and we're going through the, I don't know, metal detector, whatever it was, and they had you take all the stuff out of your pockets, you know, and I'm trying to get all the stuff out of my pockets, and Brother Richie's over going, hey, do you know Jesus as your Savior? He's over there just letting them have it. And I, you know, I'm thinking, that's awesome. He cared enough about these, these guys, didn't even try to bring them to the Lord. That's the way we need to be, is we need to, we need to follow Him, and, and, and we need to serve Him. There's ways that we can, we can come to Him. Coming after Christ is something, listen, that's not passive, it's something that's active in our lives. It's a resolution not only to love Him, but to serve Him regularly. Folks, listen, God's given us plenty of opportunities not only to love Him, but to serve Him. And that's the first two conditions. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to love me. And if you want to be my disciple, you have to serve me. But here's the third one, fasten your seatbelt. We see the third one is that there needs to be surrender for the master. We sing that song all the time. We sang it this morning. I surrender what? All. All to Jesus, I surrender. When you think about this, look at verse 33, what Jesus says with this third condition. Notice, so, he says, likewise, just like the other two times, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Same wording. Here's the third condition. So what is it that we surrender to him? Notice, first of all, that we must surrender our position. As a disciple of the Lord, folks, listen, you're saved tonight. And as a saved person, you are no longer, and I know this is going to be hard for some of you, you are no longer the boss of your own life. You've been bought with a price. You belong to the Lord. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Are you getting it tonight? You see, we need to understand that we must surrender our position. And frankly, we may not be the boss of our lives, but I'll tell you what we are. We are His bond slaves. Now again, that's not a negative word. People think it is. Look at Matthew 10, 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Folks, we love to be the masters of our own lives. I know that to be true. But a disciple submits to his master. See, if Jesus is your Lord and master, then what are you to do? You're to submit 
to his will. You're to submit to his authority in your lives. Jonathan Edwards, who was a, a great preacher used to shake America in the Great Awakening years ago, he wrote these words, I purpose to be absolutely his. I purpose. I want to be absolutely his. Jesus was willing to endure the pain and the humiliation of the cross. He was ridiculed. He was beaten and killed. And listen, why? What was he doing that for? For those very same people that were actually the ones that were torturing him, the ones that cried out, crucify him. Yet in his love for them, he loved them to the very end. And look what the Bible says one verse later in Matthew 10, 25. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Notice, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Now, there was many in the days of Christ who actually thought that Jesus was in league or that he was working together with the devil. We understand how blasphemous that is. But we think about this. When you think about being a disciple of the Lord, a grounded follower of Christ, you and I need to make sure that we have a heart of real commitment, that you and I have a heart of surrender. C.T. Stubbs' motto for his life was this, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Folks, I can't think of anything that would be something that I would have to sacrifice for the Lord that would be too great, considered what He has done for me, how the Lord has given His life for us. So if we're going to surrender in this third condition, we have to surrender our position. But notice, secondly, we, meet, we also must surrender our lives. Again, in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God says, listen, when it comes to surrendering your lives, it's only logikos. Our English word, logical. He says, it's only logical that I've saved you, I've given you a new life in Christ, therefore you should surrender your lives. God has greatly used so many people over the years, but the people that God uses the most are people who are fully surrendered in their own lives to the Lord. D.L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. What a great thought. You know, people, I see people all the time who aren't involved, they aren't serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden they make a decision to serve the Lord, and I see God starting to use them because they gave their life to the Lord, and God is doing far more with them than they could have ever done themselves. Listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an example of that. If you'd asked me uh, 35 years ago, do you think you'll ever be a preacher of the gospel, I would have laughed you right out of the room. Matter of fact, if you would have said, do you think you'd ever be a Baptist? I would have probably still laughed at you. You know, do you think you'd ever stand and preach in front of people? Listen, true story, whenever I was a kid growing up, I played a lot of sports. My favorite sport was football. My dad was always a coach on my team. He always was the defensive coach. My dad, as a, as a kid growing up, every year when you play football, they always have an award ceremony at the end of the season. And every one of the coaches, the head coach, the offensive coach, and the defensive coach, they all had to give out awards to players on their squads. That meant my dad had to get up in front of everybody. And my dad had to give out awards. My dad would make himself sick. I mean, literally sick. Because he just kept thinking about getting up in front of people. I got to get up in front of people. And it just kept making him more and more and more sick. I mean, honestly, every time the award ceremony came around, I thought he was going to throw up while he was up there. He just worked himself up that much. And so whenever I got to high school and I looked at my schedule, uh, whatever year that was, sophomore, junior year, 
I looked on there, and there was a class on there called speech class. I thought, I can't do that. I can't get up in front of people. And guess what I did? I started to get, make myself sick, thinking about having to get up in front of about 17, 18, 19 other students, fellow classmates, and give a speech. I'm sitting there in my seat, and the teacher's calling the students by name, and they'll come up, give their speech, next student, give their speech, and I heard my name, thank you. I've never done this I, it, it, from that time on to any teacher that I ever had in school. Teacher called my name and said, it's your turn, and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not coming up there. And the teacher said, uh, Dane, you need to come up and give your speech. I said, I'm not coming up there. I was as kind as I could, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not coming up there. She said to me in front of the whole class, if you don't come up here, you'll not pass speech class. And I said, I guess I won't pass speech class. <laughs> guess what I ended up doing? Taking speech class over again. And here I stand. Be careful about what you say or that you'll never do this or that. God has a way of working things out. Moody said, look, I just want to be used of God. I want to give my life to God. Folks, listen, although Christ had his demands, and although he said, if you don't love me, if you don't serve me, if you don't surrender to me, you can't be my disciple. Although Jesus had those demands that he wants us to give him our all, can I tell you tonight, listen, this is the good part that he always gives us so much more in return. When we love him, listen, he loves us more. When we serve him, God's so good to us. When we surrender to him, God blesses our lives. It's a joy to be a disciple of the Lord. Folks, there's always going to be suffering for committed disciples but there will be joy that comes with it. There will be a cross that we'll have to bear. But listen, we don't have to lift it alone. He'll be there with us. Christ himself, who is our burden bearer, you know what he does? He gives comfort in our lives. He gives us hope to press on. I think about Paul's life, so many adverse situations where most people would have just given up. But God was always there to comfort him. And always give him hope for a new day. I think about when he was on board that ship in Acts 27. How that they hadn't seen the sun nor stars in like 14 days. And how Paul still had the hope that God was going to come through. It's a joy to see people serving the Lord. People being grounded disciples of the Lord. And it comes from a deep love. It comes from a strong devotion, a full surrender to the Lord. And here's the question tonight is, are you willing? Are you willing to love him? Are you willing to serve him? Are you willing to surrender to him? And if you can answer yes to all three of those, then in the words of Jesus, then you can be my disciple. I want to be a true disciple of the Lord. Love him, serve him, surrender to him. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that as we consider this matter of being a disciple, so many times crowds came to Jesus. They were curious. Although Jesus was glad they, was, they were there, he really wanted to minister to them more than anything to help them understand the value of a Christian life being a being a, a believer in the Lord, to being a follower. God, you're interested in us being committed to you, not just curious. I pray that if there's someone here tonight that hasn't been serious in their, their discipleship, their following of you, that Lord, tonight, that maybe the flames of their love for you are fanned far more than they've been, or that you would cause us to serve you in a greater way than we've ever served you. And Lord, whatever it is that you would have for us to surrender, certainly we can surrender our position. We realize you've saved us. You've given us a home in heaven. But we also can surrender our lives. Lord, I believe even in our church, there could come even tonight a time 
where somebody might realize that you're calling them to follow you into some full-time ministry, Lord, into missions, into uh, maybe, maybe being a, uh, a full-time worker in, in a church or something along those lines. I still believe that you're calling. But I pray that you'd help us to meet those conditions. Bless this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand?